All right, last time I was up here, I was sick as a dog. Now I'm feeling pretty good, so y'all are in trouble. But when I start writing this sermon, like every time I sat down, I get all these thoughts in my head what to put down on paper. Then I sit down, my mind goes blank. So I prayed about it. His mind's still blank. Walked around, and all my thoughts come back. So I say, well, Lord, is this not what you want me to talk about? He goes, and my thoughts were still there. I went back, sat down, nothing. And I really think it was more of the devil trying to keep me from writing this sermon up then than me actually doing it. So finally I started writing stuff on paper, and it finally came out. But anyway, it, um. At the end of this month, I'll be going back to BIMI for my second year of training. And that will last to July 2nd. I'll be coming back. And I'd like to thank y'all for sending me to Peru this year. That's going to be an awesome opportunity, I believe. And it's going to be way out of my comfort zone, so that's even a better opportunity, I believe. Because it's, when I leave, I'm not going to be in a comfort zone. So this is kind of that first step to show me what I need, what I need to be trained in, and what, how I need to become to be a servant for the Lord. But this sermon I wrote up is: Is it okay for a Christian to become angry? And there's a lot of times everybody becomes angry about little things. Some of them could be like the pesky bike riders that ride down the road that. You go around a turn, next thing you know, there's 45 bikes there, and they're trying to wave you around a curve. Or what about the person sitting still at the stoplight too long when it turns green? Or what about the dude that's tailgating you after you're already going 10 or 20 miles over the speed limit? Or if you're daring, you're going 40 miles over the speed limit, and they're still tailgating you. <laughs> or what about the waitress at the restaurant at a restaurant? That she got that someone got their steak cooked wrong, and they're over there throwing a fit at her. She didn't cook it. She just told them how to cook it. But she hears it all. But you see everybody get angry like this. And I was thinking today, says, when was the most time I ever got angry at someone? And I was like, maybe I just shouldn't, serve, shouldn't tell everybody this one, but I'm going to anyway. It was probably when I was racing. I had this guy come on me during practice and. Slammed up into me in the turn. And when I looked over, he, he knocked the steering wheel completely out of my hand. I looked over, and the tire was up on my driver's door. It came down over top of the hood. I, I kind of pushed it off. Then it came to race time, and he did it again. I said, this is it, this. So I looked to my side and waited till it got a little closer. And I turned the wheel, and he went right in the guardrail, which that's the wrong type of anger. I should have been a little bit more patient, but I wasn't, and all of us gets in that pretty good predicament every now and then. So is it all right for a Christian to become angry? That's the question that I want to ask everybody through this sermon. What have I told you there was times that God got angry at us? You know, God told Moses to go and save his people out of Egypt. But Moses had a speech impediment and told God that he couldn't talk to him. And also Moses was kind of afraid to go back to Egypt because he was running out of Egypt for killing one of the guards. But if you go into Exodus, this is what I thought was kind of exciting. I'm going to read it to you all. It's Exodus 4, 12 through 14. 
And it says, Now therefore go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled. This is the part where it kind of shocked me because a lot of times we don't think of the Lord getting angry with us. But it said the Lord was angry and he intensified. And this is at the burning bush. So when I look at this as I image this, I see this as a home. See as the bush is burning, when he gets mad, I see the flame just intensifying on this thing. Like going from a four-foot flame to like a ten-foot flame just because he got mad at that point. And the rest of the verse is, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he came forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he would be glad in his heart. And this part right here, I think I use this verse a lot, when these three verses a lot, because of the situation I have. But it tells me that if I'm a servant for God, he's going to be the mouth and the words that comes out of my mouth. As, a, as I'm speaking to his people. And you know what? Even Jesus got angry in his earthly ministry. If you think about it, when he called the temple the den of thieves, I'm pretty sure he wasn't happy when he did that. I mean, the Bible tells us he turned over all the tables, fashioned a whip up, and got them out of there. I'm pretty sure he wasn't up there going, well, this hurts me more than hurts y'all. I mean, <laughs> but he, he was angry at this point. And I think there's six different, six other times that you see that Jesus was angry in his earthly ministry. So if God can be angry for certain things, and we're built out the image of the Lord, does that mean also that we can be angry for the right reasons? And there's a story in the Bible that I like to go to, and it talks about what happens when a Christian does get angry in the right way. And this is starting at 1 Samuel Chapter 11, 1 through 2. Well, this is where the first time we'll start at. And the Bible says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up to the encamp against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered on them, This condition I will make a covenant with you, that I might, must thrust out your right eye, and lay it for a reproach upon Israel. Well, we see here, Nahash was a really prideful man. Jabash was trying to surrender. They had him surrounded. And the only way that, that Nash would actually let him surrender if he was able to pluck out the right eye. And what this actually did was made them useless as warriors. Because back then, how they held their shields and all that, only the eye they you would see would be the right eye because they always trained that way. So if they were plucked the right eye out, they were useless as a soldier. And plus, anywhere they would go, they'd be insulted because everybody knows that they was the men that was, of Jabesh Gilead that was conquered. So in verse 5 it says, And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days, respite that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come to thee. So right now we're seeing Jabesh is at the end of his rope. He thinks there's no point. 
And Nahash, since he was such a prideful man, and he thought no one was out there going to help him, he let them go for seven. He let the messengers go for seven days, just to see if someone would come help him. So here's these messengers going out to find help, and they ended up over at Gibeah, where King Saul was working out in the field. And they tell the people there about what's happening. Which I thought that was kind of interesting the story too because we never really think of a king going out in the field and working. But it, it says in the Bible that King Saul was out in the fields working it. So this is how I'm seeing this right now in my mind. Here's King Saul. He's over here working in the field. He's probably about to miss a day. He looks up and he wipes the sweat off his brow. Then he realized that there's his people is around there just crying. So as a concerned king, he's over here going, what was going on? So he walks over, and that's when he finally hears what has happened to Jabesh and his men. Then in 1 Samuel 11, we're going to go through 5 or 6. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, What day is the people that they weep? And they told him of the tidings of the men of Jabesh. Right now, Saul just got angry because he knows what's about to happen to those people. Then the next verse is what really caught my eye, this whole story. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and we heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. This verse says that God came over Saul and made him even more angry. Most time when we think about God coming over someone, we think about how joyful or happy or how they get of spiritual help. This time they didn't. This time I said God came over and kindled his anger. Which I thought really stood out of that whole story. And here's the best part about this. The reason why God made him angry, because Nahash is the perfect example of the devil. And as a Christian, there's times that we need to get angry about stuff, especially when Satan's involved. There's no reason we should be pleading with the devil. And there's some times that we need to get angry and, and have actions about it. For examples, our public schooling. You know there's some schools out here that's teaching kindergartners, first graders, and second graders that they're not, they don't really classify them as a boy and girl until they're old enough to decide on themselves which is kind of messed up. I mean, God made that decision before you was even born. I don't see where you can change it. But they're using this thing called, they call, it's a unicorn that they call a general neutral unicorn to teach this stuff. And there's people, and a lot of people don't even know about it. One of the guys I work with, his son was kicked out of school. It was, early, it was earlier in the fall. Because one of the kids that's in his school wants to be a dog. So he puts a collar on and during, this, during class and all, he barks and howls and stuff. And there's nothing that they can do about it because the way the rules are written in the schools. So this boy decided to be smart one time and took a can of dog food in and handed it to him and he got kicked out for it. Which I said, and this guy comes to me and says, what am I supposed to do? And I, at first I start laughing because it's just hilarious to me that 
they're not getting on the kid that's disrupting the class because he wants to be a dog, but they're kicking one kid out because he gave him Alpo. <laughs> but this is how your schools are starting to become. And there's so many examples of how Satan is entering in schools. And there is a fix for it. There's Christian private schools around here. We have one. It's called Shenandoah Christian Academy. There's Keystone. And if you want to pay a whole lot more, you can go Grace Christian or Ridgeview. But there is options. Or there's homeschool. And I've told this to people, and I've heard all the excuses. They go, well, I can't afford that. Private school is too expensive. Or I can't afford to quit my job and homeschool my child. Well, what I usually tell them is your child can't afford to stay in public school in the way it's becoming. And it's sad, but there's a lot of parents out here, especially if we look at our bus kids and all. They think they should just supposed to raise their kids until till they're five, and schools take over the rest, which is, which is wrong. You're, I don't think you ever stop being a parent. You're always trying to teach your kid even when they're over the age of 18. Or you get these parents that say, well, my kid would just be the missionary at the public school. Well, they might be. But most likely, they're not going to be. Because there's no kid out there that, like, that doesn't like fitting in. We were all kids at one time. We did everything we could to fit in. And there's no kid out there that don't like fitting in. Over here, this one, this is a good one. They say we need to put the, school, the Bible back in the schools. And they're absolutely right. But the first thing is we need to put it back in our homes. Because there's a lot of people out there that says this. They'd rather be out drinking and stuff instead of reading their Bible. And their kids are going to do exactly what they're doing. They're getting taught by what their parents are doing. And there's things in the homeschool that we need to get angry about what Satan's doing. And we need to take a stand for it. Because if we don't take a stand now, there might, might not be a martyr to take a stand for it. It might be a collapse for it. And another thing I put up here is we need to get angry of how Satan is destroying our homes. And he's sneaking in pretty easy. And here's the biggest thing I can see. Men need to step up and start being God-fearing men for their family. We see a lot of men that is not acting as a father not acting as a husband. And it's sad when you start looking at statistics, the average marriage only lasts eight years. And that's sad because God set it up to be death to you part. Then most time what happens is the father leaves and the home is broken. And who suffers for it? The children. And if you think about it, they say 51% of the Christian homes ends in divorce. Then you got all these child that was children that was born under fornication. So there's probably like 65% to 75% of homes that does not have a male figure in them. And, and I'm not trying to put ladies down, but I believe that's where the male feminist things are coming from. Because as ladies are doing exactly what they're supposed to. They're raising their children the best they can, but there should be a male figure somewhere in their life. And a lot of homes ain't getting it. And you can see it. Or you come home and in the house, and what's another big influence in the house? I think called the idiot box, the TV. 
But everything you see now on the, on the TV is pushing homosexuality. Every commercial, just about a, every TV series, and they're pushing fornication way before this. And you can't tell me one show out there right now that don't have a gay couple in it. And they're just, it's just the way the devil's coming in our home through the screen. And it's like, how are we supposed to stop this? Well, some stations still play Andy Griffin. I know it's reruns, but it's still out there. And be honest, we're all guilty for watching stuff. There's even cartoons out there. I know one time I seen it was called the, um, Proud, well, the Loud House. And one of the little boys had two fathers in it. So they're pushing it on the kids already. And they know if they can get a hold of the children, they know they get hold of the next generation. And that's why they're pushing so hard. And this is why the devil is after our children. And you think about it, these are some of the things we're going to have to fight for. And if you think about it in the Old Testament, the children of Israel got one battle as a blessing. That was Jericho. The rest of them they had to fight for. God said he'd be with them when they fought, but they had to fight for it. So here's some of the things. So if you want your marriage to succeed, you've got to fight for it. There's no such thing as a 50-50 marriage. Sometimes it's going to be 80-20. Sometimes it'll be 20-80. And it's hard. That's why I think a lot of them fails is because we're in a throwaway society. We don't like fixing stuff anymore. If you want your health, you have to fight for it. We take all the mess in the world, but it still ain't going to make us healthy. If you want to succeed, you got to fight for it. There's nothing the devil wants to see more than a Christian fall. He knows if you fall, he can, he can get control of you. And when we do fall, we need to learn who to look for. And a lot of times we look for earthly things, and we shouldn't be. If you want your church to grow, you got to fight for it. There's so many things that happen on Sunday mornings that takes people away from church. And I'm not saying they should be in this church, but if on Sunday they should be in some church. And we have to fight for it. There's so many lost people out here, and we're not doing our job to, to bring them in. And these are just some of the things I put it, that we got that we got to fight for. And as Christians, the devil is always going to take a cheap shot at us. And if he can't get control of us, he'll get control of the people around us. He's going to find the lowest bulk blow he can and guess what we're still going to stand up and fight against them because if we don't guess what happens to them more we lose it and we've seen it right now there's so many things that's happening in this world that we, we're out of control we can't control it and it's all because the devil decided it has free range and there's more people that want to follow him than they do Christ when it comes down to it so we get back to our story in 2 Samuel 11, 7 through 9. And this is after Samuel then got angry. And he said, And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout the coast of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. 
And the fear of the Lord fell onto the people, and they came out with one consent. And when the number them in Bezik, in Bezik, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. So right now, just because one man got angry for the right reasons, the people of Jabesh and his men are going to survive because of one man that, that decided to get angry for the right reasons. And then in verse 9 it says, And they said unto the messengers that came th thus shall these say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead tomorrow, by the time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and, and shoot it into the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Hey, I'm a little early on this one, but I'm going to go ahead and end it in a closing statement. If Jabesh and his men could be saved of one man because he got angry for the right reasons, and as Christians, we need to stop being so tolerant to what the world tells us because the world is the devil. And we need to start standing up against them. And this is another, but I was thinking about when I started reading about this stuff and it started clicking to me, the war in Ukraine was starting to get hot. And I was wondering, I said, what would happen if one man, let's just say Biden, but he ain't going to do that, would tell the world that, we give you a certain amount. Of, we'll give you oil for the next 25 years for a certain price if you come help us fight against them. And I told that to one guy. He says, "Well, we only got um, enough in reserve for 125 years for the world in America." I said, "Well, that's fine." I said, "But we didn't get out of the Stone Age because we ran out of stone. There's always technology, or the Lord's going to come first. He's always had enough for us, and always will." Which he didn't like our answer, but. That's one of those scenarios I've seen in my head that would that really work today's time? And I believe it would. Well, anyway, I'm going to pray. And I'll get it back over to Pastor John. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity you give me to speak in front of everybody. And I know it was your word, and I know it was you speaking through me. Especially for as many times I had to sit down and rethink and rewrite this. And Lord, I hope it helps some of us to realize that the world ain't like it used to be, and the devil is rampant in it. And we need to stand up against them. Please let us have a blessed rest of our evening. In your name, amen. Well, Robbie, appreciate that.